Everyone check in. Diagram check. Check, check. Nose gun check. Check. All right, kids, do mom and dad proud. Here it comes. We've lost our shields. Ghost moving to engage. Dead Boffin Spies, a Star Wars podcast. I'm Ryan Daly, and once again, I'm joined by Bobby Anderson. Back in episode 12, Bobby and I talked about the first season of Star Wars Rebels. Well, season 2 is premiering this fall, but in the meantime, Disney released the mini-movie entitled The Siege of Lothal to bridge the gap between seasons 1 and 2. This hour-long episode sees the familiar cast of Rebels being hunted down by the villainy of Grand Moff Tarkin, and particularly Darth Vader. Uh, Bobby, you've seen The Siege of Lothal. What did you think? Um, I think it's pretty much everything that we had talked about, that everything that we wanted to see, because the series was kind of at that, that tipping point of it could go one way or the other. It had a good first season. A lot of shows do. Yeah. And we were really at that point of, if they go this direction, I think this is going to be something that people can enjoy. If they choose to go a different direction, you know, I don't, I don't know how well it's going to work. And I think they pretty much hit every point that we had talked about. Yeah, I think in particular, we, we did kind of talk about the danger of bringing Darth Vader into the show. And if... If you bring him in, you need to establish how utterly terrifying and dangerous he is. Um, if if he becomes a Colonel Clink and these guys are always just running around him and you know always getting the better of him, you just you can't do that to Darth Vader. Um, he needs to be horrifying, and that's definitely what I got from this. Oh yeah, I mean, one- the, the, their first encounters they they get by by the skin of their teeth. Oh yeah, he's one step ahead of every. Which is, you know, what you would think from someone who was a general mm-hmm. during, you know, a Jedi Clone War situation. Yeah. Like, he's calculating and ruthless, and he's everything we wanted. And it also set up that he's not going to be the regular villain. Yes. Which is something I was really happy with, because now he's not, like you said, get, he's not going to be the next Colonel Plank. And that way, he becomes this overlording figure that you know he's got an eye on the situation. Mm -hmm. I think that's a good move on their part to not have him be sort of, because he's, that's sort of like throwing, if this were a video game, that would be like fighting the final boss (laughs) as like the tutorial. (laughs) And now it's like, well, what is there to do? So, I mean, I like that they've put that off. We get a taste of just how, you know, truly evil and dark he is and how much if he, if he chose to stick with the situation, they would be completely overwhelmed pretty quickly. Lord Vader, hunt the rebels down. Yes, Master. I survived one war. 
I'm not ready for another one. We have to do this. Imperial reinforcements have arrived. He expects Longfall to be punished. I want you to burn it. Do you feel that? When they're first kind of ambushed on Lothal, like when they go in there, they, the rebels go there hoping to rescue the the local dignitary, whoever the, the sort of the mayor or the governor of the city is. Mm-hmm. And it's an ambush. She's blown up and they're pinned down and they barely escape, but they, they kind of see Vader and he's he's watching them from a distance, basically sizing them up. Um, and, and it's a great shot the first time they see him. Ezra says he feels cold. He feels just this sense of cold and death. And they turn around and you see Vader kind of... It's in a doorway, this shadowy doorway that almost looks foggy. Um, and it's just a beautiful shot. And then he, he ignites the lightsaber and we see some stormtroopers running around and there's a gunfight. Um, but the the first battle between Vader and both Ezra and Kanan teamed up... They are barely clinging on. Oh, yeah. Like, it's not even close. And you get the sense that, I mean, at least I did anyway, that Vader was just sort of toying with them. Yes. That he he had no intent, because he bugged the ship. Mm-hmm. The end game for them isn't this one little rebel cell. It isn't this one little group. They could actually care less about this one little group. I mean, granted, it's got a Jedi and Apprentice, and they'd like to snuff that out. But their bigger issue is sort of the rebellion as a whole. And so, to me, I took it as Vader used this opportunity to snuff out a large fleet of the rebellion. I mean, maybe he wouldn't have let the Jedis get away. Maybe that sort of organically happened and they were able to distract him enough for them to get away. But, I mean, you get the sense that he was not... His intention was not to destroy them all right there. Because if if he had... They wouldn't have made it. Right. I don't think they would have even seen him coming. Right. Um, and, like, so, yeah. and, I, and I, yeah, I definitely get the sense that he, he probably, when he saw their light, when he, I mean, he probably felt them, but when he saw their lightsabers coming out, he was like, oh, I haven't done this in a while. <laughs> I, I haven't murdered a Jedi in a while. Oh, this, the, and I, I, I think, I bet, like, mentally, he was probably, like, cracking his knuckles and, like, stretching. He's like, oh, yeah, let's, uh, let's take a little walk. And I think he was kind of toying with them and having fun and just kind of stretching as he was doing that. And if he really wanted to, he, he would have murder, death, killed them in a second. <laughs> you, you remind me of a youngling I used to know. <laughs> I killed him, too. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and then the, basically the second time he fights them is when he's in his TIE fighter. And all by himself, without the rest of the Imperial fleet, he decimates the Phoenix Squadron, the A-Wing fighters that is their backup, and like destroys the the flagship of the uh, this particular rebel cell, this particular group. Um, we see him doing a lot of damage with just his little starfighter on his own. Oh yeah, and it's actually the rest of the Empire is the detriment. Yeah is they get away because of the Empire's ineptness. Yeah. yeah. And so there was a really great moment there with, um, oh, what's her name? Now I'm blanking. Uh, Ahsoka? His Ahsoka, yeah. yes. I could not for the life of me pull that name out. Well, that was that was the other big thing that we were expecting to have from this episode. or that right. we, we didn't know if it was going to happen this soon, 
but we knew once they brought her back and once we see Vader, this is the one obligatory moment for this series. Um, we need to see what happens when they either they encounter each other or they just discover each other. And it sounds like he he didn't know that she was still alive, and she didn't realize who he was. But by the end of this episode, they know. Um, yeah. Well, the only people who would have known would have been Yoda and and Obi Wan, really. Yeah, about his identity that he was yeah. Anakin Skywalker. Yeah. And so since Ahsoka had left. She, you know, had sort of left the Jedi Order. She would have had no sort of inkling of who he really was. So when she finally gets that, it's overwhelming. Yeah, I mean, literally, she she paints. Yeah. <laughs> like the 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 mental feedback of that is such that she passes out. Right. Um, and that's when he pretty much just says, "Okay, I'm gonna." I I don't know. It's an interesting read. He. He he could have done a lot more damage, but once he acknowledges, once he realizes she's out there, he kind of begs off of the of the encounter and kind of lets them go. And maybe they're going to tease that like it's it's sort of like the same thing with him hunting down Luke Skywalker in Empire Strikes Back, that he has this his agenda that he's keeping secret from the Emperor, and now maybe we're going to see him trying to find her and bring her back into the fold. Well, he mentions um, when he reports. Oh yeah, he does. He does tell the emperor that he says she might be a stepping stone to finding Obi Wan. That's right. That's so could he have probably, if he was really going all out, have just decimated them? Yes. Maybe he, like you said, pulled off the throttle a little bit to try and get a bigger fish on the line. Mm-hmm. Maybe he figured if I let her get away, she can eventually because their end game has to be Obi Wan. Yeah. Their, their end game has to be Obi-Wan and Yoda, the only two who are really strong enough out there to do anything that they really worry about. And so if they can get those two, I think that's really the first time they can breathe a sigh of relief. Mm-hmm. There's something familiar. I feel cold. I think I know who it is. Back on the fall, I felt something. Kanan did too. I was very, very impressed, sort of with the episode, but mostly with Darth Vader in this episode. Um, I would say that this was Darth Vader's show more yeah. than it was the Rebels, more than Ezra and Kanan. This was uh, an hour-long mini-movie devoted to how cool Darth Vader used to be. <laughs> um, I loved, I loved the way he looked in the animation style. They really, they made him look like sleeker and more slender. Um, and the sort of fanning out of the helmet. He looked more like a samurai warrior. Um, there was a, a tinge of red to his lenses, to the eye lenses on his mask, which goes back to the original Star Wars film, um, that the helmet did actually have reddish lenses that only showed up in certain when you were looking at it from a certain light. Um, I thought that was cool. I, I really liked that first that they got James Earl Jones to come back and do the voice. Yeah. Um, I, that just that gives it an air of credibility, sort of like how they got Billy D. Williams to come back last season as Lando, um, and this one too. He come, he makes a cameo appearance in this one too. Um, the fact that they're able to get those stars back is really really cool. 
I've read comics and like read books and everything like with Darth Vader like set in this era or like either between the classic trilogy or around that time and it's I've just never felt like they were able to write him correctly or that they the authors captured the voice correctly but this one really did and I think even if James Earl Jones wasn't doing the voice I felt like this was the best Darth Vader had been written in a long time um, well it's the it's the Darth Vader that we that we knew that we grew up with mm-hmm. of just this sort of you know evil presence because that's really what he was in the first movie he hadn't been yeah. humanized yet he hadn't you know there was no redeeming quality to him yet and so he was really just this evil force yeah in you know in this story and that's really what he is here you don't see anything that would make you you know think that there's a glimmer of hope for this guy in the future because that's a long way off mm-hmm. we see what darth vader really you know is and what he you know why he was so bad for so long and so i i think you're right i think he really is written about as well as you could about as well as you could write him for for what this is now if you tried to if you tried to make it longer now if this truly were a darth vader story and the season was going to be about him i don't know that they could maybe keep that momentum up but for for this sort of mini movie I think it was great. I think they executed it perfectly. Yeah, yeah, me too. Let's look at the the main characters of the show. Let's get back to our, our cast of Rebels. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't get a whole lot of progression from their story. Um, this this very much is a sort of interlude, and it's just like I said. I, I think this is more of a of an adventure with Darth Vader than it really is the Rebels. Um, but we get a little bit. We see uh, there are some uh, there are some adjustments being made and how familiar the the group is with this new fledgling rebel alliance. And maybe surprisingly, Kanan isn't feeling too comfortable in this position. I mean, we, we kind of saw him as the, as the Jedi hero, as sort of the young Obi-Wan Kenobi. We kind of expected he would come in and be the leader because that's what he's been. But it turns out he's, he's, kind of falling into that Han Solo role of he he feels more comfortable when he's independent and autonomous and he doesn't know if they belong with this militarized group whereas Hera the sort of mother wife of the of the family dynamic is on the opposite side she is committed to their cause and wants them to join for for support and for you know the philosophy of what they stand for um, what did you th- what did you think of that split of that kind of division between them i mean for me it goes back to what the original purpose of why they were all together right so i think mm-hmm. i think for Canaan, he just didn't know how to not live that sort of life you know what i mean like he grew up in the clone wars he was a jedi he was constantly on the run becoming sort of this rogue smuggler you know i think he described it as a robin hood type figure mm-hmm. is very was very natural for him but this whole time, Hera has had this connection, right? She's had this sort of rebel connection because they've been getting sort of loose orders and, you know, objectives and things like that from the, from the rebel alliance. And so, to me, this is sort of that culmination of that void that was there. That Kanan thought it was one thing, Hera thought it was another. Mm-hmm. And so that's, 
I kind of like that it's not just like, a, oh, we're a part of this now. Because there are, there are ramifications to it. You know, now that you are not just this group of five people or group of six people, you know, it's, things are going to get more intense. You're going to be fighting, you're going to have more Darth Vader encounters than you did before. You're going to have more eyes on you than you did before. The sort of one concern I had about it was when I was thinking about Kanan's motivation. If he's so reluctant to kind of join up with their group, it, it kind of feels like his whole motivation, the reason he started kind of robbing from the Empire, feels more almost just like robbing from the rich, that sort of independent Robin Hood idea, but not really expecting any kind of change. Almost just, you know, like taking care of his own, taking care of the people he can, but almost kind of just like fighting the power and fighting authority as an act of defiance, but not expecting any kind of societal change. Because that's what the rebellion stands for. They're trying to overthrow the government and trying to replace the empire. Whereas his methods were just hurt the empire. And I don't think he, he ever expected anything back. I don't... I don't know if he could conceive of the Jedi coming back or any or any sort of fall of this evil power. He was just trying to, you know, like just like chip at its heels, the de- make it die the death of a thousand cuts. To me, it sort of comes back to they had mentioned in the episode a couple times about hope mm-hmm. and things like that. He really doesn't have any hope of def- of defeating the Empire. He really just wants to try to make life better for the people that have to live in it. And so, and like you said, for the, for the immediate, for his immediate surroundings, for Lethal, for, you know, his friends, for all that he's, he's fighting that fight for them, but he knows that right now he is taking on a very small portion of the empire and it's a very small portion that he's pretty much better than, right? Like, so he's picked his enemy and he is dominating his enemy in this little arena that he's chosen. But choosing to join the rebellion is going to throw him against the full force of the empire, mm-hmm. and he's felt that. He's the only one in this group that's actually felt that from from the Clone Wars and from the Jedi being destroyed and all that. So he's, I can I can understand his reluctance, and I think it's a good voice to have about why is the rebellion such a such a risky thing. Yeah. Because he talks about it a couple times. He's like, there are consequences to our actions now. I mean, that's why he kept being a Jedi a secret for so long. He was doing this long before even the Empire knew that they were facing a Jedi. Because as soon as he did that, more heat got put on them. And now as soon as you join the Rebellion, more heat's going to get put on them. I think he had sort of picked his battle with he was that he was comfortable with, that he knew he could win. And now he knows... He knows what he's up against, and none of the others do. Yeah. I mean, that's why when Ezra says, like, I'm not afraid or I'm not scared, he's like, that's what's worrying me. Like, you don't, you don't understand what, right. what we're up against. There were 10,000 Jedi, and now there's not. You know what I mean? The difference, the difference between when we were fighting then and when we're fighting now is that there were 10,000 Jedi protecting the galaxy. And so you can sort of feel his hopelessness of having to fight the entire empire. I think, I think you're right. His idea was let's just fight our little battle, you know, on our little planet and we can win that. And hopefully other people are doing that 
other places. But we don't have to worry about that. The other characters, I mean, they all had their little moments, but I don't know if it really necessarily spotlighted a whole lot. No, their moments are very brief. Um, Even Ezra only gets sort of some brief moments here or there. We get the we get the familiar scene of him racing off on his own and seeing, you know, a homestead basically decimated by fire and and right. like sort of very similar to when Luke Skywalker goes off and sees Uncle Owen and Aunt Beru murdered. Um, we get a scene similar to that, except they again it being Disney, we find out that the the people of that little village were taken away, taken prisoner, and he does. I was impressed that he doesn't have the sort of stereotypical impetuous child response of we have to go rescue them and basically throwing caution to the wind and getting them in trouble so that they can go risk their lives. Instead, he he's, he's pretty pragmatic about it. Once Hera kind of puts the cards on the table, he's like, yeah, we can't save all of these people by ourselves. That's why we should stick with the Rebel Alliance, because they will make us stronger, and we can use them to help us save these people. Yeah, well, I think that's his, his character sort of having a growth moment. Mm-hmm. And that's actually a lot of them having that growth moment. Because even, even Zeb is like, oh, so let's go bust him out. Yeah. And, and he has to be talked down and sort of, no, that's not, we don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we, we have, we used to have all these, these small attainable goals, right? Get these people food, secure this weapons shipment, right? Destroy this, you know, prototype ship. Like we had all these, these small hurdles and these small goals that we were achieving. Those, those don't necessarily apply anymore. Now we've got a long-term slog to try and fight a bigger fight. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, in the grand scheme of those of these big battles and these big fights, the people of Tarkintown are are a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? As as sad as it is, the rebellion can't afford to send valuable assets to fight for the people of Tarkintown. Right. Now you hope in the end that when they're victorious that the people of Tarkintown have a better life and and everything's better for them. But in the meantime, they don't, they don't have enough power to sort of fight all these individual little fights to save these individual people like they're used to doing. Oh, this, this person is being you know, persecuted individually by the Empire. We have to save them. No, you don't. Right? You, you can't afford to do that anymore because you are valuable assets as, as two Jedi, as, a, as an experienced pilot as an experienced warrior, as a demolitions expert, as a, as a piece of equipment, as a droid, you are no longer expendable because the, the rebellion does not have those resources to expend. Yeah. And so it really becomes a picking your battles. And Kanan knows this. And I think even Hera knows this. And it's going to be a while before the others really learn it. I think that's that moment you have with Ezra where he learns we're fighting a bigger fight. Mm. So good. Do you know who what he is. No, I don't. But I do know that he will be coming. They'll all be coming now. Then we've got to be ready to fight. We must find the strength to fight. The greater courage is knowing when not to fight. And we'll be beside you either way. I mean, they made it a point of saying we have to leave Lafal. 
right? Like we can't stay here. Right. The empire knows that we have an emotional attachment to this place. And so everything they do is going to be targeted towards us. They're going to hurt these people to get us to try to come forward. And so they know they have to go elsewhere. They have to, you know, and that's one of the things we talked about. We wanted a bigger scale, right? You've got this whole universe to work in. And I would have been really disappointed if season two had sort of happened on the fall. Yeah. I want to see, I mean, Star Wars is exotic locations and, and, you know, grand locales. I would love to see some more of those. Right. And I mean, they, I really liked this, what this miniseries did is it gave them a reason to leave. Yeah. Right. Because you could, you could always make the argument, well, they just stay on the fall and they're fighting the rebel fight there. Only now there's, you know, a squad of them. And the problem with that is exactly what was outlined in the episode was, no, they're going to put the squeeze hard on the fall. Like they are exactly what Vader did. You know what I mean? Hurt innocent people to try to get you to come forward. And so by you being there, it's not even so much like, oh, we're going to stay and still do good. If you stay, you're actively hurting these people. Because again, you can't give all the resources to help these individual people. And so it was a really good setup for why they're going to have to leave Lothal and why they can't come back. Okay. Well, what about Ahsoka? What do you think will happen with her this season? She didn't seem to be in charge, right? Or at least not the head honcho. I like that because I think it's going to open her up to being involved more, right? Because the general is the person who sits in the chair and, or the, the commander is the one who sits in the chair and gives the orders, right? She's, I get the feeling that she's going to be the one to sort of tag along more often, mm-hmm. right? She's going to be the one that, oh, they're going to this planet. Well, I've got something I need to do there, so I'm going to come with you. And so I think we're going to get more Ahsoka action. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get sort of a really good interplay between the three of them. Because you've got a Jedi who feels like he's not really a Jedi anymore. Mm-hmm. And who doesn't didn't complete his training perfectly. And who doesn't know why he's doing some of the things he's doing to his apprentice. And so you've got that Jedi teaching an apprentice and then you have a former apprentice who went through a whole big thing with the Jedi and actually left and is now back. So it's like, I think you're going to have this really fun interplay between like backseat teaching. (laughs) Kanan's going to try and teach him something and Ahsoka is going to be like, well, actually, and you're going to get this really weird dynamic of who to look up to. I think before the end of the season, we will see her face to face with Vader that they need to have an obligatory scene together. Um, yeah. I think, I think that has to happen. Yeah, and I, uh, I mean, I don't know if she survives. She, it, that might be the thing where she gets captured and she gets taken onto her own little journey. That's probably going to be painful. Um, but I, I think they, yeah, they need to have a face to face before the end of the season. I'd be really upset if they didn't take that opportunity. And I'll be really upset if they don't use Ahsoka in a really good way. If they just sort of ignore her for most of the time and bring her out whenever they need sort of deus ex Jedi, because they have, this isn't like a crossover, right? Where you've got a character who's sort of making an appearance who by all intents and purposes, doesn't have a lot of reason to be there or who's only there for a short time because they've got their own thing going on. You know what I mean? Like, there's a reason you can't have Han Solo join them and be with them 
for 10 episodes, right? Because he's got his own thing going on. You can't have Luke join them and be with them for 10 episodes because he's doing his own thing. And he doesn't, you know, it doesn't match up with what we know about that character. Mm -hmm. But Ahsoka is sort of a a fresh slate for them. She's an already established, well-liked character who there's really not any sort of precedent set of, well, there's the reason Ahsoka can't be with them is because she was off on this planet doing this important thing. Mm-hmm. It's really, she's available. This isn't, you know, Spider-Man showing up in an Iron Man story and he has to go back to his Spider-Man story at the end of the day. She can be there and they can use her to sort of make some interesting things happen. Did you have any other thoughts about the Siege of Lothal? That was pretty much it. Like most of my focus was on Darth Vader because I thought they nailed it. They did his part absolutely correct. But did you have any other thoughts on it? I'm excited. I mean, I would I would say that that episode renewed my interest to watch season two. I, I have a feeling like this was probably what this will get a lot of new viewers and people who might have been on the fence and weren't sure. Like they heard things about the first season, but they didn't know if they wanted to check it out or not. I think if they watch this one as like a little mini movie, I think they'll enjoy what they see. And I think it'll attract a lot of new fans. Yeah. All right. Before we go, uh, we have some sadder star Wars related news back on June 7th, the actor Christopher Lee passed away. Uh, The news of his death was not reported right away. In fact, the family kept it secret for almost a week. Lee was 93 years old and starred in over 200 movies during his long career. And among his many notable parts was the character of Count Dooku, who appeared in the Star Wars films Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. Uh, Bobby, were you a fan of Christopher Lee? I was. Um, He's, I mean, he's been at this for a long time. So there's a lot of stuff that's before my time. I know, I know he did a lot of villain work. Mm-hmm. He, was, he was a big villain for... He played Dracula a lot. He was sort of my dad's Bond villain. Yeah. The sort of my Bond villain. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of stuff that I've only heard about and I've heard that's good, but just on the stuff that I know him from and I know him well from, um, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, that sort of stuff... I mean, it's sad. I would have, yeah. I would have liked to have pulled him further along so that I would get to see some of the things. Because by the end of his career, he wasn't able to do the things that he did in the beginning. So, I mean, he was a really great actor. He was in World War II, I think. Yeah, he, um, he, he was. He was an accomplished guy. Yeah. He, yeah, he was. He was kind of a badass. He killed Nazis. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, he was a musician. He was an actor. It was, he was really talented in a field that I have a lot of respect for. So, I mean, it's just, it's really sad to, to hear about that. Yeah, I, I heard that one of his quotes was, he said he wanted to die with his boots on, um, meaning he wanted to still be working up until the end of his career. He didn't want to retire from acting. And that, that's true. He was still working. He was in the middle of filming a project, I think, when he got sick and eventually died. Um I know, I think during the filming of The Hobbit, that trilogy, all of his scenes had to be filmed in London or around the UK because he couldn't do the travel to New Zealand. Um, but he was still, he was still in those movies. He was still, he was still fighting. I, and I've, I've gone back and I've seen him in The Man with the Golden Gun and I've seen a lot of the old Hammer Dracula movies. 
Um, but I think the first time I really noticed him was in, of all things, the movie Gremlins 2, <laughs> um, where he was like a, a genetic research, a genetic scientist um, in this skyscraper in New York who's like experimenting on these things and grows more weird kind of gremlins. Um, and it was a weird part, but I just remember his voice. And he had such this resonating, powerful voice. I was like, who the hell is this guy? Um, and, and yeah, and like you said, I mean, the, the things that he did with the Lord of the Rings trilogy. And, uh, and I remember being a little bit sad when he was in the, the Star Wars prequel films because I knew that he was just being wasted. Um, and, and I think he, he got through them better than most characters. His, I don't think the character of Count Dooku was ever an embarrassment um, the way some of the other characters were. Um, and he, he still held that sort of stately, regal manner. I would have liked to see him play that part in a really good movie. He still voiced that character in the Clone Wars animated movie. Yep. Um, so he, he was still... He, he was passionate about these projects. And, and I know that he was... He was a good friend of Peter Cushing, who played Tarkin, and that was part of the thing with him being in the the Star Wars prequels was he was kind of paying homage to his his friend who was in the first Star Wars movie. So, um, yeah, no, he's his performance in the prequels is some of the better performances in there, and his character is just kind of interesting. So. Like the the movies don't really touch on it much, you know, because they're bad. Because they're right. Awful. Because they're bad. Um, but if you sort of try to read up on the character and what he should have been, or what mm-hmm. he could have, you know, if he had been fleshed out more, could have been, you know, being Qui Gon's master, being, you know, he's by all rights he was a pretty powerful Jedi. Yeah. And I was kind of upset that they didn't really use him in the third. No, he pretty much just gets a fight scene, which is mostly a stunt double, and then he's killed pretty ignominiously. Right. Um, but uh, I mean, I'm I'm not going to say that he he would have saved the prequels or that it would have been you know 50 times better if he had been in all the prequels. But it would have. I I liked him and I liked his acting and I thought Dooku Dooku was an interesting enough character for me to want to get to know. Like yeah. Darth Maul never said a word. He looked really cool. But that was about it. You you really learn nothing about who he is or what what he's about. You get no motivation from him other than sort of this, you know, evilness. Yeah, I didn't but, miss Darth Maul when he died. No. I was like, okay, he was fun for the purpose that he needed to be. Um, I felt, you know, when, when Count Dooku was killed off, I was like, that was, that was a waste of talent. Right. Um, and maybe... I don't know, maybe for a future episode I'll do more research into that character and see, learn more about him. Because um, I didn't even remember that he had a connection to Qui-Gon until you mentioned it. I just, I, I blocked so much of those movies out. And of course, uh, seeing him as Saruman was excellent in The the Hobbit and The Lord of the Rings. Um, well, and he, he actually knew um, Tolkien. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. He was, he, he's like taught himself how to speak Elvish. Like he was... He yeah. was a, a scholar of those films. Yep, so. he was he he was the only one of the of the cast who had actually met Tolkien. Um, he read the books like every year. He had always wanted to play Gandalf. Yeah, um, but by the time the movies were being made, he was too old. He couldn't 
he couldn't handle the action sequences because Gandalf has a lot more action than right. than Saruman does. But yeah, no, it's a shame because, like I said, it's he was he was good at what he did. All right. Well, thank you very much for being on this episode, Bobby. It was great to talk to you again about Rebels, and uh, hopefully we'll do it again at some point during the second season when that comes out. Maybe we'll do like a mid-season review. Um, yeah, absolutely. Anytime. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Have a good nope. one. See it. It's a great pity that our paths have never crossed before, Obi-Wan. Qui-Gon always spoke very highly of you. I wish you were still alive. I could use his help right now. Qui-Gon Jinn would never join you. Don't be so sure, my young Jedi. You forget but he was once my apprentice, just as you were once his. He knew all about the corruption in the Senate, but he would never have got along with it if he had learned the truth as I have. The truth. The truth. Before closing out this episode, I got two more iTunes reviews. First, Kyle Benning wrote, Many Boffins died to bring us this podcast, which is sort of true. Uh, Kyle says, This podcast is a fun, humorous romp through all eras of the Star Wars universe. It's worth every Boffin life sacrifice to bring about its existence. Thank you very much, Kyle. I appreciate it. And the Irredeemable Shad gave us a review titled, Star Wars Podcast for Fans of the Classic Trilogy and EU. The perfect Star Wars podcast for me. I love the original Star Wars movies, but I'm not a fan of the prequels. Don't hate them, just don't care much for them. I also love the classic trilogy-era expanded universe, the Thrawn trilogy, etc. The host of this podcast, his name escapes me, feels the same way and spends his time celebrating this period of Star Wars. Love this podcast. With some very insightful discussions and several engaging co-hosts, this podcast will fill the Star Wars-shaped hole in your heart left after the prequels. Subscribe today. Thank you very much, Shag. Uh, I know you don't mean any word that you say because you hate me, but I still appreciate the five-star review as it helps promote the show. And that is all for this episode of Dead Both and Spies. If you enjoyed this show, you can leave feedback at the blog page at deadbothandspies.blogspot.com or the Facebook page at facebook.com backslash deadbothandspies. You can also leave a review of the show on iTunes, as Shag and Kyle were both generous enough to do, and you can track me down on Twitter at RyanDaily01 or the username CountDrunkula. Dead Bath and Spies is not affiliated with Lucasfilm or Walt Disney Company, and the views expressed on this show belong solely to the speaker. All music and audio clips are used for entertainment purposes and are believed covered under fair use, and I make no money off this podcast, so no copyright infringement is intended. Thanks for listening. And until next time, may the Force be with you, Sir Christopher Lee, wherever you are now.
I mean, like I said, I think there's going to be some cool power struggles between the Jedi. I think there'll be, I think you have the opportunity for some fun power struggles between Ahsoka and Hera of like, who's really the mother of this group and who's, who's really sort of the, the, was that motorcycle in your apartment? Um, (laughs) it's, it's no worse than the logging trucks that drive by at two in the morning. Um, I've actually named them and I can tell them apart by, by engine noise. 